What's up, guys? This is PC, and this is your backstage pass to the Green Room Podcast Series. What's up, guys? You're listening to the Green Room Podcast Series. Our guest today is Jason Kuhn, one of my former teammates at Middle Tennessee State University, who went on to become a Navy SEAL and now owns Stonewall Solutions, a company that's geared towards building positive culture and teamwork within sports teams and business organizations alike. Jason, what's happening, brother? Not much. Not much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Stoked that you're on the, on the show here, man. And so let's just jump right in here. Talk about your history and your experience in life and like what brought you to this point in time right here today. Yeah, of course. Well, growing up, you know, I was always a baseball player and uh, played a few sports growing up. But baseball, baseball was my love and my dream was to play it for as long as I could and be a big league star one day. And I uh, found myself at Middle Tennessee State with you on what I like to call the best team that's ever played there in 2001. And um, that was kind of the pinnacle of my career. And uh, the next year I came in as a senior and I failed miserably after a pretty successful junior year. And in that failure, uh, looking for purpose and direction uh, and 9-11 happening right around the same time and things, I felt a calling to join the Navy. I became a Navy SEAL. And I have deployed to, you know, all over the country or all over the world. And I was a SEAL or in the special operations line of work, if you will, for about 10 years. And then when I left that line of work, again, looking for purpose and direction, I uh, folks started asking if I would help them build mental toughness and team culture and operate well in high pressure situations. So I started sharing my experiences to help them do that. And it was uh, providing value for folks. And and I've been doing that for the last five years. And so talk about, let's expand on your Navy SEAL experience, because I know that it fascinates me, and I'm sure it fascinates so many of the listeners out there, and what, what that's like. Talk about what that experience was like for you becoming a Navy SEAL and then serving as a Navy SEAL. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's really unbelievable. And I, I gave everything that I had to the SEAL teams, and, you know, and, and I got much more out of it. The men you get to work with, on a daily basis are, are incredible and they constantly drive you to become better yourself. And, you know, I can't thank them enough. And, you know, and, and the guys I got to be around every day, my buds class, it's basic underwater demolition seal training. And that that's, that's our pipeline. We go through our funnel, if you will. In my class, we started with around 135 guys and we, we finished hell week with 20. Hell week is five and a half days and you sleep a total of four hours the entire week. So two hours on Wednesday and two hours on Thursday and you're cold, wet, miserable and and getting after it the whole week. Um, It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but I had some uh, strong experiences that helped push me through that training. Some uh, I had some very important reasons why I was there and that's what helped carry me through and keep me motivated to just keep moving forward. And everything in the SEAL teams is done as a team. I mean, the biggest way to get yourself kicked out or not make it through training is to start acting as an individual and doing your own thing. I mean, everything you, you, everything you have to accomplish is as a team. And it's very important because when you get into war, it's the same way. And uh, so I went through Bud's Class 255. I graduated. I went uh, to the East Coast, became a SEAL, and uh, deployed to both combat zones, both Iraq, Afghanistan, and then a couple other places 
that I won't talk about on the podcast and um, and had just an, just an absolute blast, man. I, I, uh, I eventually uh, became a sniper, um, struggled through sniper school, but learned it. That's where I teach a lot of the high pressure performance stuff from those experiences. And then and then ultimately I became a team leader. We had a, a helicopter crash in a training uh, accident. Um, it was horrible. But in that moment, because due to injuries and casualties, I was placed in a position of, of a team lead and I would be in charge of anywhere from 10 to maybe 20, 25 men on special operations. And that's where I learned my leadership skills is kind of through that trial by fire and uh, both successes and, and the failures. And I learned what works and what doesn't work really quickly. <laughs> and, uh, Eventually, I had a little girl, and I, otherwise, I'd still be doing it. But having kids made it too difficult for me. I just couldn't say bye to them anymore. So I, I uh, left the Navy and uh, came back home. Very cool, man. And so now you're the owner of Stonewall Solutions, and you work with athletic programs and with business corporations all over the country. And you're focused on, you know, building a culture that wins. And so talk a little bit about that, about your business and your goals when you're working with those groups. Yeah, well, the goals when I'm working with them is to understand the value in a concept. So I teach 10 combat-proven fundamentals of human performance, or what I call the fundamentals of winning. And I believe there's fundamental processes, meaning controllable action you can take each day that's going to produce success. And that are, that's your process, right? And focusing on that is what's going to make the difference. But a lot of times when we talk about process-driven results and things, is we focus on the mechanics of stuff, such as for me, that'd be a, how I shoot my gun, operate my radio. In a sales team, it would be how they, uh, you know, how they communicate with clients, understanding the service or product. In a sports team, that would be how we hit and throw a baseball. And a lot of times we neglect or give less attention to the other things, such as I think there's fundamentals to our mental toughness, the way we think and approach problems, and also in our culture, which is how we treat each other and how we lead each other and how, you know, following the fundamental skills in all three of those categories are what's going to help us reach our standard of best. And our standard of best should not be a little bit better than everyone else. It should be maximization of the potential of our team, you know, whatever team that may be. And learning how to operate, you know, I talk a lot about operating with confidence under pressure and, and various other things, breaking down uh, how to use failure to our advantage and go through debriefing, debriefing processes so that we're a a constant evolution of getting better and snowball things in the right direction. But that's kind of a synopsis, if you will, of, uh, of what I go through. I love it, man. And so let me ask you this from an educator's perspective in the classroom. A lot of times failure is seen as like this, like horrible thing, right? We, we don't want our kids to fail. We don't want to fail. How can an educator or how can a student even from a student perspective, how can they use failure in a classroom to get better like you're talking about there? Yeah, of course. Well, the best way not to fear something or anything is understand the value that it provides you in your life or your performance. And that's one thing when I do teach is I, as I try to break down the value. So I'll introduce a concept such as failure analyzation and then use an example of, uh, of improve it, prove its value in, in a real story that I've experienced, whether it's combat or training or failing in baseball, right? And then um, apply it to the environment of the client, whether that's a corporate setting or an athletic setting or, or whatever it may be. So with failure specifically, I call it an opportunity to make ourselves better. It's literally how we learn. 
the problem with it is, is, you know, a lot of the solutions that are out there is like, well, just be positive and shake it off and try harder next time. Well, you know, when people tell me that, because I'm a very driven person, it kind of just makes me matter because I have a lot of attachment to the results. You know, like I, if it's a, if it's a financial investment and I fail, you know, that that's, that's impactful. There's emotion there. It affects you. If I want to become something, you know, if I want to make the team and I don't make the team, I want it to be on the team. There's emotion there. It hurts and it's supposed to hurt and it drives and brings pain. So what I say is instead of pretending like it doesn't matter, don't waste your pain. Let it motivate you to become better. And there's, I, I go through a three-step process. You identify controllable corrections. What do I need to start doing, stop doing, and continue doing so that you can find the adjustment that needs to be made and then commit yourself to making that adjustment. Never make that mistake again. That's what combat teaches you, right? Don't you only make a mistake once. If you live to survive, hell about it. You never make it again. And you teach everyone on your team what you learned from it. The second thing is, is you identify weakness, okay, which is an uncontrollable disadvantage. You know, the competitor that I'm going up to has a competitive advantage of some sort. And what we do there is the counter to that is to, um, is to, you know, I say maximum physical effort and maximum mental focus, one play or pitch at a time, creates the maximum amount of opportunity. You want to continue to create pressure on the bigger guy, and then hopefully they'll start to fold and crack and operate, you know, start to experience the stress that that pressure can create. Then you'll create an opportunity. When that opportunity arises, you're ready for it. And then the third piece is the hardest. Forgive yourself. You know, I live in it a lot of times. And, and rather than let failure define you, once you've learned from it, you've grown and you've gotten better and, and you've got what you need, it's over with. Right. So let it go. Lock into what you're doing now and win the fight in front of you. And uh, but, but you got to forgive yourself from it. Don't give it any more mental attention or emotional attachment and look forward and try to help others move forward as well. And that's how I use it. And, and understanding that, that failure has purpose, you know. When I failed in baseball, I thought it took my purpose in life. And when I recognized that I, it, it didn't take my purpose, it provided purpose for me to be forged and to fulfill a greater calling is when my life changed. But I had to refuse the victimhood mentality. What I recognized was that victimhood produces more victimhood, right? And I had to shed that mentality, accept that I failed, process it appropriately, and then I could succeed. So great, dude. That's awesome. Awesome stuff, man. And so let's hit on toughness. And you mentioned this just a second ago and what it means to you to be mentally tough. What does it mean to be physically tough? And then how do you develop that in people? Or do you believe that that's something that can be taught? Yeah, I think that mental toughness can, can be taught. Absolutely. It's um, So what I call mental toughness is an ability to interrupt the cause and effect cycle and insert thought and action that produce value. So toughness to me is simply a choice. And all we can control when adversity or pain hits us is our response. And that response all culminates or starts with, uh, you know, the way we think, you know, so, so adversity creates an emotional reaction, disappointment, pain, whatever it may be. But our response will either have value or no value, or at least value or less value. And what mentally weak people do or what many people do, what we all fight against, even mentally tough people fight against all of the time, is not allowing our emotions to dictate the response, right? 
So if something happens that's unfair, it's outside of your control, it builds frustration. The first thing we want to do, what's justified, what's the normal response, what most people will do, is we want to complain about it. We verbalize it. And when we do, we're keeping our mind actively engaged on something that we can't control. We can't control the bad call. We can't change it. It's already done. Right. But we, we keep our mind and we keep our mind there when we speak about it. We keep ourselves in that frustration. So what we can do, and this is what a tough person does, is they simply shift their focus. So you got to look at what options do you have? Can you control the adversity? No. Can you change it? No. But you can shift your focus and you shift it off of yourself and to the person next to you. And you don't just get through it. You lead through it. And then all of those emotions start to become replaced from um from fear and anxiety and self-pity to selflessness and confidence and defiance and aggression and all of the things that you need, again, to win that fight in front of you. But that's it, man. Mental toughness to me is just interrupt that cause and effect cycle. Bad things happen to you. Say, good, bring it on. Get your mind off of yourself. Focus on those around you and lead others through it. And then your mind is on something of value. And that's how winning is done. There you go, man. And so let's shift. You talked about leadership just briefly there. Let's shift to leadership. And one of the phrases that you use a lot that I absolutely love is for each other. And you and I both know that in order for a team to be successful, you got to have the collective group being, you know, and acting as selfless individuals. And so, you know, with sports like you're talking about, sometimes you have to hit behind a runner and give yourself up to move a guy over to third. Or maybe you have to eat a block up front so that the linebacker behind you can get the tackle that goes in the stat book. But today's society that is so much all about me and me and me, how do you develop that attitude of selflessness? Well, you got to prove the value in it, you know, and, and so what I mean by that is you can I, I, you can I can teach these kids how selflessness matters in a moral sense or at Sunday school or whatever. But I want to show them the performance value in it. And it's true in any competitive environment, whether it's war, whether it's uh, the corporate environment, whether it's a legal team, whether it's a sports team, this works. And I call it service versus status. So what I'll say is we can. Our why and our motivation can come from a couple of different places. And a lot of times in today's world, you're right, there's be, there's more emphasis on the individual than I've ever seen in my lifetime. And that's what's driving a lot of the failure, a lot of the stress, and a lot of the problems. And here's why. If you're playing for status, meaning I want to be a big deal, I want the praise from others versus the joy and accomplishment. And don't get me wrong. I mean, be all state, be the best player that's ever played. You know, those are goals. I'm not talking about goals. I'm talking about motivation. And my motivation is to receive praise from others versus joy and accomplishment. It drives failure because for me to be a big deal, other people have to think I'm a big deal. And other people's opinions are completely outside of my control. And when I'm trying to force something that's outside of my control, that is where pressure once did not exist and now does. It's born right there. And then pressure creates stress and you're operating under that on a day in and day out basis and eventually it wears you down and you're not performing at your peak so that's the problem now the opposite of that is service and i mean serve the team and the mission that we're on the collective mission without expectation of anything in return and and that that status base sometimes it's not in an arrogant manner sometimes it's in a uh, in a need for affirmation manner so i i was at sniper school really struggling because I was a new guy and it's normally reserved for older guys, but I was really good when I was by myself. And one of the instructors came up and he said, Hey man, you know, the only thing that's messing with you right now is the company that you're in. 
You know, quit worrying about that. You're a great shot. Just embrace your best and give it to the team. You know, if you don't believe in yourself, then why should anyone else? And it changed my career. And so then I just tried to serve the team without expectation to the best of my ability. And it produces success. There's two performance values in this sort of attitude. And this is where people think that serving the team and then getting what's best for them are a dichotomy. And they're not. They work hand in hand. And here's how. If I serve the team without expectation of anything within my control, without anything in return, one, that's completely within my control. That has no dependency on anything else, right? That's mine. And then two, it reduces anxiety. So think about this. If I get nervous for my own life and death before a combat operation, it's for my own life and death. So anxiety, it's parasitic. It's feeding off a misplaced concern. If I defer that concern to the well-being of my teammate and, and, and accomplishing the mission and loving the mission more than myself, then that anxiety has nowhere to feed because I love something greater than myself. My motivation is stronger than that. And then within that, it creates the most effective form of aggression. Okay, so and, and that's love. And, and, and love can be a motivation to produce violence if you're if you're protecting what you love. And so it's the same way in, in sports. And I, and I break it down like this to people. I can convince everyone listening right now probably to have the courage to fight a Navy SEAL in a fist fight. And here's how I do it. As I say, if you would you do it right now, if you could have the status of having beaten one up, you could go tell everybody you beat up a Navy SEAL. Right. And most of the time, nobody wants to do it. But then all we do is we switch the motivation behind it. And I say, well, what if I had the person you love the most? in this world behind me and you had to come through me to get to them would you fight me now yeah and 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 almost everyone says yes right but the problem didn't change just the motivation behind it and that's the question as a team we all have to ask ourselves are we going to work against each other which most people don't most people work with each other but teams that work for each other go on and do special things because of those two performance values contained within them that's deep stuff man i like I just absolutely love that answer. That was that was perfect, dude. And so let's talk about culture and building team culture. And that's something that you specialize in, whether it's with athletics or corporations. Talk about the steps that you take to develop and then strengthen culture from an organizational perspective. Yeah, well, the first, you know, you start with the foundation and then you go from there. So within the 10 things that I teach, they flow from one concept to the other. And the first one involves confidence. And that confidence, um, you know, has its start in identity, and I call it who, what, why. Knowing who we are, what we want, and why we want it. So with the who, both as an individual and as a team, I like to develop three core values that define what we want our team to live each and every day. So mine in my personal life, right, is faith, hard work, and courage. That's my process. If I live those three things, I believe that they'll produce the results that I want eventually. And I like to stick to three because it's the, your mind can only focus effectively on three things at a time, in my opinion. And then the what, what is it that we want? You know, I'll ask teams all the time, what do you guys want? And they're like, well, you know, we want to win or do this or whatever. And it's not clearly defined. It should be very clearly defined, especially in a corporate environment where that what could, could has a lot more options than in a, you know, say a, a high school football team and then there's a simple state championship right um and then and then you see the, the the various limitations people place on themselves with mission missions of like well you know what do you want well we want to have a winning season like why are you limiting yourself there mm-hmm. one single game has been played yet and you're saying you want to win 70 percent of your games like why not win the whole thing who's telling you you can't 
You know, those are mental barriers that we place on ourselves. Like, if I listened to the critics when I failed at baseball and went on to become a Navy SEAL, I would have never started, you know, and that's where I focused on who and then the why. You know, why do we want to succeed? Because that's what's going to drive us through when adversity hits. And it's not the first hit. It's the second and the third, you know, when you get dropped to your knees and then you get hit again. And that's the one that breaks people. And that's where that why is so vitally important. So when I was broken, I had failed in baseball. And it was an embarrassing failure, as you know, man. I mean, my whole ego was crushed. My identity was wrapped up in baseball. And, you know, that's where I learned what I do doesn't define who I am. Who I am defines what I do. And my whys were real simple. I, I wanted to provide justice for everyone who died on 9-11. I, I watched it happen live in Nick's Hall there, and it pissed me off, you know. And then the second thing was uh, I wanted to be a part of a brotherhood. I really loved the chemistry and the bonds that we had in that 2001 team that both you and I were on. And I wanted more of that and figured I could find it there. And uh, the third was, man, I just I wanted to shed the labels of mental weakness that were associated with my failure. You know, I was a good ball player one bad year. And then like that's what you're remembered for. And I just wasn't going to let that be my legacy in life. Yeah, for sure. It makes perfect sense, man. And so let's talk about part of your program is the fundamentals of winning. And we all want to yeah. be a winner. We all want to follow a winner. You know, I always tell kids. It never fails. Like whoever wins the championship, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, like you're going to see those jerseys in the airports everywhere that I go. Like we all want to be associated with a winner. Talk a little bit about your fundamentals of winning and what that entails. Yeah, winning. I mean, the first thing that, that it starts with is it's just, just learning how to be tough. And like I said, it, it can be taught. It can be learned. Uh, you know, from anyone, it's it's simply a decision. Now you can't force someone to make a decision. So what I try to do again is introduce a concept. So whether it's the team first mind, communication, confidence, failure analyzing, uh, high pressure performance. You know, I give a three-step system of how to regain your composure when you feel like you're freaking out before a sales call or a field goal or a full count curve ball or whatever it may be, a way to reduce that heart rate and then get in that confident mindset that you need to be in. And um, leadership principles, both at the macro and micro level. And, uh, but, but the biggest thing is just taking ownership of yourself, of your team, refusing to have a victimhood status, learning to be tough, believing in yourself, not limiting yourself on what you want to accomplish, and then just getting after it. And if people choose to serve each other and the mission, the rest of the stuff, you almost don't even have to learn it because it starts to flow naturally from there. And I just kind of help guide it. So I do it in three tiers. I do I, I, I have a 45-minute speech on confidence, mental toughness, and the team first mind. And then I share those, those things, each with a, a story that proves the concept of them. And then, a, you know, a, like a two-hour, half-day seminar where we go through all 10 in, in more depth. And then with a lot of the sports teams, we do a SEAL-themed workout as well, where I pull some of the training principles from SEAL training, but I make it more of a fun, positive approach. And I do a lot of the exercises with the teams, and it's all to learn to build trust, to develop leaders, and then control our thought and action under pressure. So it has nothing to do with strength and conditioning or trying to make people quit or make war fighters. It's teaching them how to perform under pressure, make good decisions, and understand the value and service to each other. Super cool, man. And that physical training, I love watching the videos, especially like the tire flip challenge and how excited those kids get when they're doing that. Like, it's just awesome, the energy that's out there. 
Oh, it's a blast. You know, when you take a group of people who are looking at you, you can see some nerves in their eyes because of the unknown and the Navy SEAL guy is here and whatever. And, and they don't know me like you do when I was sure. a goofball, you know, they, they, they make the, <laughs> they look at me, however, they, they make the assumptions and there's, they get nervous and sometimes intimidated. And you take that environment, you know, they're, they're not very loud. And then at the end of the program, they're shouting out loud. They're literally dogpiling on each other. And we yep. haven't even played a game, you know? Yep. And, it's, uh, and I'm as excited as they are. And it's just, it's just wonderful. And then a lot of them go on and crush it, man. I mean, you know, it's not any sort of guarantee or a, or a box of magic uh, you know, pills you can take to make you win or anything. But the teams that really embrace this and go live it, there's been some incredible things from Max Preps number one in the nation rankings to – uh, you know, conference titles to you name it. And it's just, that's the reward that I, you know, when I see them apply it, live it, go through the struggles and then get to the end, you know, like we say in the SEAL teams, it pays to be a winner. That that road is hard, but when you get there, it pays to be a winner. There you go, man. And so let's talk about stress now for a second. This is a term that people throw around a lot in today's society. And it's something like I try to avoid it. I don't know that I ever say, talk about being stressed out or anything, because I'm a believer that what most of us consider stress really isn't stress at all. Because like to me, when I think about stress, I think about guys like you, you know, Navy SEALs and our armed services that are overseas and you've got, you know, bullets flying by your head and bad guys shooting at you. And a lot of times you can't even tell who the bad guys are, right? Like to me, that is stress. And so talk a little bit about your perspective on stress and then specifically on stress management and coping skills. Yeah, absolutely. And understand I'm not a psychologist either. So everything I'll share is just from my experiences. And I think that stress is a physiological effect, you know, due to the environment. So there's not, you can't just like live this completely stress-free life, especially in those sort of circumstances, because it's, it's, it's your, your body's trying to tell you something like, Hey man, you need to be alert. You need to have things on your mind to keep yourself alive and whatever. So one understanding, again, the best way not to fear something or manage it is to understand the value that it provides. So, you know, stress, fear, all of those things. If you had no fear in a gunfight, then you would just walk around and get yourself shot. You know, it's, it's, it's learning where that healthy level is in order to, for it to, to reach that maximum performance level. But stress is tough. And especially when overseas, you're, you know, you're, you start to get tired. Um, we're talking combat stress. So there's life and death things going on and it can become difficult. So what I try to do when things get difficult, break big things into small pieces. Man, I'm stressed out. Last night was rough. Tonight may be worse. Maybe not. Maybe we won't go out at all tonight on an operation. I don't know yet. Um, I wonder what my wife is doing back home. Man, I've got four more months until we go home, and it starts to become overwhelming, right? So you bring that thing, that big macro thing, make it micro. Break big things into small pieces. What's the next right thing? Focus on what you can affect, right? So I can't. I can't affect what's going on at home with my wife or my kids or whatever because I'm sitting here overseas, so I'm going to focus on what I can affect. Look, it looks like Johnny's having the same thought process as I am, so I'm going to get him a cup of coffee and say, how you doing, brother? You know, And then we're going to connect, man. We're going to have a conversation and recognize we're in this thing together. And then you know, all, the, all, those, all, all that stuff starts to happen. And, and then just, again, focusing on why you're there. I would remember why I was there. I believed in the mission. I believed in what we were doing. I loved my country. I love my kids. And I didn't want them to have to do what we're doing. And I would, I would remember those whys. And, man, and it would just flip it, flip it back over. But the biggest thing I think I could say, the number, if you forget all of that, is this. Be thankful. 
you know, you can't be thankful and unhappy at the same time, in my opinion. So I would remind myself, okay, I'm here, I'm in the grind, and this is tough right now, but this is what I wanted to do. You know, so embrace the suck, quit feeling sorry for yourself. And I would think of someone who would love to be right where I am. Guys that quit training or especially guys that got hurt in training and couldn't move forward that wanted to. Yeah. Here I am getting to live the dream. The experiences that I'm experiencing, nobody gets to do this stuff. The stuff I'm going to get to tell my grandchildren and the good I'm producing for the world. And I would flip that switch from, you know, the stress to thankfulness. And, and, and gratefulness, it's like the tactical nuclear weapon to negativity in your mind, man. It just starts to wipe it all out. And then again, just shift your focus, man, off of what you can't control, what you're worried about, and onto those around you. And, um, and, 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 you know, it provides for you. Makes perfect sense. And so let's shift back to the home front here. And unfortunately, in our schools here in America, and, and even beyond that, but we're going to focus in on here, the, all the school shootings and the attacks we've had in our schools here recently. And so as educators, what can we do mentally to be in a better position to handle one of those chaotic moments if we were ever to find ourselves in one? Yeah, I mean, first of all, understand the physiological effects that are going to take place with an adrenaline spike, fear. Um, and all of those things, you're just not going to think properly. And it's hard to, you're going to get very tunnel visioned. Uh, your heart's going to race through your chest. It's going to be hard to think and make decisions, speak anything. And it's hard to simulate that unless you practice it or have been in a situation like that. And, you know, the, the more, the more times you're in adrenaline filled situations, the more you learn to manage it. And, and, and you can't ever really stop that spike from happening, but you can recognize that it's happening. And then I call it opening up the blinders. Like, you know, if you know, like, like horses on the street, they've got those eye blinders on, you know, and it's like opening. A lot of times that's what happens with us with tunnel vision. And you guys, you got to open those things up where you can see everything and think, you know, where, what is actually happening? Is this a mass shooting or is it what, a single shooting where somebody came up to hurt one person? Where are the shots coming from? What's our procedures that are in place and things like that? So I think of having a very simple mental checklist of what you think the best three steps would be to do if you were to experience that situation and then have it memorized. So that way, when it happens, you go, so you're not trying to figure things out. You're going right back to that mental checklist. And then also whatever procedures you have in the school, you want to rehearse them because, you know, in, in, in our training, we would say you don't rise to the occasion you default to your standard of training. So if you're like, hey, I'll just figure it out and I'll be a hero, it's not going to be like that. And I know from experience, you're going to default to what you've trained yourself to be in that moment. And it's going to be the most rough, ragged version of yourself in that moment. And that's where the training, doing things the right way and again, the right way and again, and don't take shortcuts. Now, that being said, you're educators, not tactical people. So you've only got a certain amount of time and, um, and things for that. But, you know, you may have some with that have experience in the military and and, um, you know, within those people within the military, you know, your your, mil your veterans, you know, hopefully some of them have some combat experience, too, and can maybe share um, what they know. And there's also other groups out there. I have a friend who runs something called the vigilance group where they train you to be the first responder, because the reality is the first responders are there after the after the fact, usually, you know? Yeah. Um, and so they do a really wonderful job explaining the physiological effects of the body and helping schools, educators, businesses, whoever, develop a response plan uh, to manage the threat um, as it unfolds. 
and that includes communicating with the arriving um, law enforcement. But definitely take ownership of it. I have um, seen some response teams go through, you know, what they do, and 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 the reality is, and I say this with much respect uh, to everyone, is that you know I think that a lot of them are undertrained and um, need more training. And you know, not all. Of them, some of them are very good and uh, whatever. But don't, you know, I wouldn't just don't rely on that response team and take ownership of it yourself get some training in place and at least a procedure in place and then have it memorized. And um, that, that would be my biggest. And, that, you know, on the, on the other side of that, too, that's they're all, you know, like procedural things. The other thing is, you know, prevention is the hugest thing, man, like create connection within the school. And, and I know I know you guys are doing those things, but, you know, do everything you can to have students connect with each other. And I think one of the biggest problems that we're having, too, is we're, we're, we're just allowing the, young, the youngsters, rather than teaching them how to deal with adversity and become forced and become tough and understanding that struggles bring reward. And without the struggle, there is no reward, you know, whether it's life or whatever it may be and, and engage that. We're teaching them a lot of times or not teaching them, but allowing them to be victims. And then I just think it snowballs the wrong way. And we need, you know, I, I like to, I like to teach them like, Hey, we're all victims, but it's how we're going to respond to this circumstance. that's going to make the difference in our lives. Are we going to be broken or forged, but creating connection within them and, um, you know, helping kids have find their purpose, man, you know, that kids just wander and help them find purpose and understand that everyone's born with intrinsic greatness and, um, helping them, helping them honor that and let them know, you know, we all have that need for significance and just honor it for them. And maybe that'll help, you know, prevent something you never knew of. You know? Yep. Yep. You're exactly right, man. And those relationships, like they can never be underestimated from so many different perspectives. And then like you said, with the training, like, and I'm a firm believer in that as well. I always took my kids like through every single classroom, not only just in my class, but through other classes that they had. We went into the cafeteria. We went into the gymnasium. We were like, we were all over the school and just played those what if scenarios, you know, what sure. if that happened here and how are you going to react? I do the same thing at our house with Brooks and like, what if there's a fire? Like, what are we going to do? This is our meeting spot. We're actually going to go up there and we're going to practice this right now, you know? So I think just mentally being prepared and playing out that scenario in your head you know, I don't know if it helps or not because I've never been in one of those situations. But in my mind, I hope that it does prepare you just a little bit. No, it absolutely does. And like I said, with that adrenaline spike, it's so hard to think and make a decision. So you're basically predetermining the decisions that you're going to make, you know, w w with the information that you have on hand. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a number of athletic directors that I know listen to the podcast, as well as administrators for a sports team that's looking to bring you in that, that wants to work with you. Give them like a general overview of what's going to happen once you get onto their campus. Oh, well, we're going to have a great time. And, um, you know, like I said, it's just as much fun for me as it is for them. And it's really simple. A lot of times people think it's, the, you know, a lot of moving parts. It's not. It's really simple. We'll schedule a day or two. And then we run about two hours in the classroom, which includes question and answer and some breakout sessions. And that can expand or, or, or you know, uh, be lessened accordingly in the, in the age group and what we're working with. And then we're going to learn these 10 concepts. We don't have to. We can go through five. We can go through three, whatever you need. And then we're going to go out to a field like a football field or open space. And we're going to apply what we've learned in the in the classroom and application drills so where we run our playbook and we practice tackling and hitting and everything else um, it's the same thing a lot of times with intangible skills such as leadership and 
uh, learning to control our thought and action under competitive stress. We talk about it, bring in a guest speaker, but we don't ever practice it. So that's what this is, is an opportunity to practice these things. And then after every drill, I'm going to make the relation and translate what they just learned back to their environment. So if it's the football field or the baseball field or, or a softball field, whatever it may be, so that they understand how to learn what they just uh, what they just accomplished. An example of that would be we may hold the plank position in a, in a circle, and when our muscles start to burn, we're just going to all start to encourage each other and talk to each other, and they're going to learn how um, I have control over how long they stay in that so they can't control the adversity, but they learn to shift their focus off of the uncomfortableness and onto each other and the value that that provides. Once we're done with that drill, then we talk about, hey, this bad thing happened in the third inning or the fourth quarter. What do we do about it? shift our focus and then you know break that down what it looks like for a game so that they're walking away with skills that they can uh, take into action immediately not just a motivating you know happy day and then the biggest reward is when it, you know they win and then you get a call two or three later years later and they say talk, tell you how they applied it to their job or you know home life or whatever and uh, that's what it looks like that lasts about three hours and then the last thing we do you mentioned the tire flip challenge they get to go on the clock and compete for the best time across the nation and uh, see who can who can uh, who can get it. And that's a lot of fun. And that's a, that's a drill they do together as a team. It ends in a, in a really strong way. And, and uh, you know, as we spoke earlier, a lot of times in a in a, <laughs> in a dog pile, if you will, and jumping on top of each other. And it's a, it's a blast. Very cool, man. And so, yeah, like I said, I've seen the videos. I absolutely love them. You've got a ton of cool videos that, that detail a lot of the things that you do. How can someone contact you? How can we find those videos, find more information about how to bring uh, Stonewall Solutions to our campus? Yeah, you can uh, call me at 615-260-2524 or go to the website at www.stonewall-solutions.com or email me at Jason at stonewall-solutions.com um, or just, just punch it into Google. All sorts of stuff will pop up and find our social media. I put content out almost daily on, uh, on social media and that's all, all there for folks that want to uh, absorb that. And um, I'd love to work with everyone, especially uh, you know the educators and everything. I really have an appreciation for what you guys do. It's the hardest job out there and anything I can do to help, please let me know. And I, I very much appreciate what you guys do on a daily basis. It's not easy. Well, Jason, dude, I could talk to you and like, really, I, I would rather listen than talk to you. I could listen to you all day long. Like you just, you fascinate me. You talk like straight to my heart, man. And I just can't say thank you enough for being on here today and for taking the time to join the green room, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, man. It's always great to spend time with you too. For sure, brother. Guys, you've been listening to the Green Room Podcast Series. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would do me a huge favor, if you would rate it, subscribe to it, and then share it with a fellow educator that you think might enjoy it as well. Chase your dreams, kids.